Welcome to Knuckles, the personal finance podcast from a couple of Canadian accountants. This show offers an intellectual discussion on everything that impacts your financial life, from TFSAs to ETFs to broad political and economic discussion, we've got you covered. Because investing in anything in life comes with understanding it first. This podcast is for informational purposes only and it should not be relied upon for a basis of investment decisions. It does not constitute any provision of services or advisory. All right, uh, we're getting right into this one. Um, this is a little bit of an emergency pod. Um, the Canadian federal uh, fiscal budget was just released yesterday, April 19th. And we're sitting here on April 20th, dissecting this whole whole thing for you. And uh, well, of course, my name's Jaden and I'm, I'm joined by Joven again. Um, and we're coming at you for the second time in the last like four days or so. Yeah, we're putting so, in a shift this week. Oh, we are. So hopefully you're uh, not getting tired of us. Um, but yeah, we wanted to do another podcast to kind of break this thing down because it is enormous. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. Joven. Well, just right before we get into it, I think it's really important to just uh, highlight to our listeners why this federal budget is very important to everyone, um, well, Canadian citizens per mm-hmm. se. Um, I would like to just say that we've gone through an unprecedented year that we've never seen in this nation, maybe since World War II, um, that involved a lot of government spending. And uh, that's why this federal budget was super important. Um, and as we sit here today, we're still amidst this COVID crisis in this, in this nation. Um, and it's going to require lots of government support. And that support's mostly going to come through monetary means. Um, hence why these federal, federal budgets are, are, are important. And this 2021 is, is quite important as well. Yeah, it's um, not only did they have to, or the government have to kind of rescue everybody from the economic hit that COVID brought on, but now we got to work our way out of this whole mess. And to be quite honest with you, like a lot of people say like, well, the economy is doing pretty good right now. Like, why are we, um, you know, like, why are we continuing to spend? But um, it, there's there's like some significant danger that if you just stop spending now, and you um, if, if you just kind of let let your foot off the gas, you're basically gonna like hang everyone out to dry. Yeah. Right. Because like if a business is kind of moving along, um, okay, but it's at the point where you know if it loses support right now, it could kind of fail. Uh, you want to kind of avoid that because you've spent all this money trying to save them. For like from the get-go, right? Yep. So you don't want to be like, pull the rug out from under them right now. Exactly. And then um, have all that um, that help go to waste. So um, there's a projection of 358 billion. I think I've got that right. Um, as the deficit in 2020, which- I believe it was 354, but- Okay, yeah. so, so about three, yeah, so let's say 350. Um, they, the projection from a lot of economists was about 400. And I think that mm-hmm. was the original projection from Trudeau back in September-ish, I think. Yeah, And that's what we actually <clears throat> talked about in our, I think, two podcasts ago. Not the previous one, but the one before that. Okay. We talked about the deficit being around that $400 billion mark, which came directly from the government, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. yeah, and I think, um, I mean, like BC came out with their budget today. They're talking about how their deficit projection was cut in half from 16 billion to around eight. And the reason being was largely the housing market. 
They're collecting <laughs> so much property transfer tax. The PTT, yeah. Or GST on, on new home sales for the federal government. It's massive. Um, you know, uh, provincial income tax on um, real estate transactions in, for brokers or lo- lawyers or, you know, you've got... Um, uh, permit applications for you know big construction builds, all that kind of thing. So um, the housing market kind of saved our economy because it kind of you know softened the blow of those massive deficits. So yeah, um, it's makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely been helping a little bit. So um, yeah, projected 350 billion over the last year. Over the next year, we're going to see about 150 billion in additional spending. That's what I'm talking about when we need to keep our foot on the gas a little bit. And um, and then it kind of goes from down from there. It's like 75 and then 50 and then we're into the 30 billion dollar range, which is kind of where we are at pre-COVID was yeah. around 30 to 50 billion. And just a statistic for all our listeners, right after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, the total federal deficit was about 54 billion. Um, so considering we're sitting at 300 billion and mm-hmm. we'll be at half a trillion, about 500 billion by the end of 2021 mm-hmm. um that's uh that's quite a jump um we weren't as affected by the 0809 financial crisis covid we have been quite severely affected um but it just gives you some perspective of how much um m- how much government money is flowing into the economy and, and how important monetary policy has been uh over the last year yeah and i think so there was a stat that came out that Trudeau um, will have amassed more debt than the 22 prime ministers that had preceded him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a ridiculous stat because you can't compare, you know, some guy in 1922 because like inflation, inflation. will have like completely obliterated what, you know, what we spent back then. Um, I'm showing my lack of Canadian history there. Um <laughs> But um, <laughs> um, basically, like, it's just a significant amount of debt, right? There's going to be some, it is going to impact us. But I think it's also kind of shining a light on the fact that, so if if we can do this, you know, where, why were we so concerned back in, you know, even taking that 08, for example, $50 billion deficit, everyone was freaking out back then. Yep. People were talking about hyperinflation. People are talking about how we're going to become the next Weimar Republic. And for those of you who don't know, it's, you know, the predecessor to Nazi Germany. Yep. And largely the reason that Nazi Germany came to power, um, because there was some significant hyperinflation and people just got really fed up over there. But yep, exactly. I mean, it kind of goes to show you, like, obviously we had the capacity to take on 10 times that amount of debt and really not have any repercussions so far. Um in terms of, you know, all that stimulus flowing through the economy, right? Right. And I think the other statistic to bring up is the percent of GDP. Like, we're pretty high. Like, our um, the percentage that the debt is holding compared to GDP is quite high. I believe, what is it, 14%? Well, it's like, well, so our debt to GDP is like around 100, 100%, right? Is it okay? So, but, I mean, everyone else is is either at that mark or it's they're above it. So like the United right. States is is exceeded 100%. Right. Italy, Spain, Greece, I mean those are not great examples from yeah. an economic perspective, but they're all way ahead of that. Uh, Japan is sitting up there at 257% of GDP. Um, so basically 
for all the transactions that are occurring in the country in one year, Canada has around that same amount of debt. Mm. Um, it's not um, a good indicator um, it, or it's not relevant to you know a person because you don't really have a GDP as a person. You have income. Um, obviously, the Canadian government has income. Um, uh, but, but you know, countries usually show it as GDP, um, debt to GDP ratios. And um, we're sitting at around 100. I don't know if we've actually surpassed that point yet. I mean, that usually when we hit big milestones like that, we'll have the guys on Financial Post screaming about it for a week and a half. Um, but uh, we're pretty much there. If we're right. not there already, we're pretty much there. So it's, um, it's, it's significant. But when you look at a country like Japan... I mean, at 257 or whatever they're at at this point, um, it just goes to show you that sometimes we need to take these um, the news articles with a grain of salt, right? It's because the media is always going to try and get everyone yeah, fired up about the debt. But figure out the reality, flaws and whatnot, right? Yeah. It's not something that is um, that we can solve right away. So it's something that we should probably, you know, it's considered well, a bad thing, but it's not something that we need to panic over. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's dive into it, Jane. Let's start off with, I, I think start us off. the biggest thing that came, well, there was a lot of um, initiatives that they rolled out through, through this uh, federal budget, but the biggest thing was the extension to some of the COVID relief um, programs that were b- brought into place over the last 12 months here since March, 2020. Um, the CWS Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program, the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, um, those are both expanded, and the CHRP was expanded as well. Yeah, and um, the the CHRP is the program, and is it actually a new program? So instead of paying everybody the thousand bucks every two weeks like they were on CRB, yeah, they're transitioning to it. To um, it's basically a subsidy for businesses to rehire. So over the summer, from the start of June through the end of September, if you're rehiring staff or you're hiring new staff, you're going to get some of those wages covered to kind of ease the transition, which I think is a, I'm, I'm actually really pleased with that transition from away from the CRB, like just handing out $1,000 a month to pay people. And then, you know, I'd rather see it go to businesses mm-hmm. to rehire those people because what we're going to see is a business can't hire you get the get the grant for the whole summer and then just lay you off for no reason. Yeah. Right. So it's going to businesses are going to have, you know, some support to bring you on, but then they're going to have you like people are going to get integrated back into the jobs market. So I think right. that's a good transition. For sure. I agree. And I believe the direct number for this is pretty large. Uh, Five hundred ninety five million dollars just for the CHRP. Yeah. C- yeah. CHRP program. Yeah, so twelve point um, one billion for the extension of those programs. Of I think they've been extended to September. Yeah, uh, they were supposed to end in June. Um, coming from a business owner's perspective, that is amazing. I think it's great. I think it's needed, especially considering we're in our what third wave right now, second wave, third wave, third, third wave. Tough to remember. Tough to remember at this <laughs> point. Um, yeah, we're in our third wave, and and it's hitting. I know for us, we're located in British Columbia. As many of you guys already know, it's hitting us quite hard. I don't even want to know what Ontario is going through. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, that's kudos to the government for, for doing that. Yeah, and I think I wanted to get your take on this because, I mean, we both, um, 
me through um, Kelsey, obviously, but yeah. um, you as well. We both own small businesses, right? Mm-hmm. That have been able to tap into these programs when we've had to shut down. Um, are you going to change the way that you run your business based on the thought process that maybe these programs are going to come back if we see another kind of recession? Like, like I guess, in my opinion, I almost see it as if the government's going to always step in and be that lender of last resort and backstop a business. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to change people's like their if they're going to be riskier, if they're going to put, put like put more capital into their businesses, which would be a good thing from an economic perspective. But um, it's kind of an interesting topic to, to discuss and kind of look at and um, and see, because if these like if Trudeau came out and said, hey, every time that we see a drop in GDP, these programs are going to come back. Or if you happen to have any kind of hardship and your business starts to, you know, drop in revenues for some reason you can apply for these benefits that are going to exist forever yeah um that would really make a major impact on a business right like you'd you'd have a massive safety net huge yeah i think from my perspective like as a business owner um i see the benefits of the program in in what within this um pandemic that we're in um because you know frankly speaking i have seen a decrease in volume with my business and, and I, I have tapped into these certain programs. Um, so it does provide us that cash infusion when it's much needed. But, you know, from the economic standpoint, I sometimes think, should a business owner become dependent on these programs? Yeah, because, it's a great question. Right? Like, do you really want to be dependent on a CWS that was paying you? You know, it's right now it's weighted and it's all formula based now. Mm-hmm. But I think for the first three or four periods, it was like a straight 75%. If you had a certain amount of If you were down 30%, 30% compared yeah. to the year prior, you were 75% of wages recovered. Exactly. Um, and frankly speaking, like that helped me out a lot. Like I have a large payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped me out a lot. And But once it became weighted, I saw the difference. And it was a drastic difference. It was like a, it was a huge difference like in, on a number standpoint. Yeah. Um, did my business become dependent on it? I don't think so. No, I like I got two different divisions of my business. One division, my liquor store uh, was not affected by it, but my pub side was. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I think that's my biggest worry is I frankly think, and I, there's no data behind this. This is just my assumption. So take this with a grain of salt. I truly believe that the reason why we haven't seen so many businesses fail, like foreclosure signs up, um, doors being closed is the reason these are this is the main reason why because the government is bankrolling them mm-hmm. and when you have like an open pipeline to these funds why would you why would you shut that pipeline down like you're gonna keep that thing open as long as you can that's your lifeline keep your business going even if you're just like just running off fumes just mm-hmm. keep it going um once these run out i guarantee you we're going to see some very, very, very unfortunate events unfold. And yeah, I, and unless I, the economy takes off like a rocket, like exactly. everyone's projecting, right? Exactly. And especially in cities that like large cities like Vancouver and even Kelowna now, even even Kelowna now, like where commercial rates are 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks a square foot. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you're you're battling it out for high, um, uh, high skilled workers. You know, it's... It's going to be a bloodbath out there after, afterwards. That's my personal opinion. 
Yeah, I think we're going to see unemployment at its lowest level in decades mm-hmm. um, after this, just because of the fact that there's so much money that's pent up and it's just waiting to be spent. Um, I think, like, if you, when you look at it right now, I think, I mean, the, the Okanagan Valley has the lowest unemployment record in um, the nation, isn't it? In the country, yeah. yeah. And it's lower than 5%. It's insane. So we're, we're actually better now than we were pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And and when you walk in any stores like Home Depot, uh, they're bumping. Like they're they're bumping, but they're also like every sign says hiring. Like we're hiring. I walked up to the till the other day because uh, I was buying uh, rocks to landscape in my backyard, and um, the till literally listed thirty different positions they were hiring for. Damn. Like it was just a list. Like it was like if someone took a CVS receipt wow. and just taped it to the till. Like it was just like a meter long and yeah. it was like we're hiring for, you know, anywhere from part-time, you know, parking lot sweeper guy to like assistant manager. That's like crazy. it was just like everybody. That's insane. Well, yeah. no, it's it, and, and I, I do hope that this country returns to that. Just going back to the budget, um, that twelve point one billion is a large portion of this hundred billion that we're planning on spending. Yeah, for right. sure. And it's in a very short period of time. It's right? a very short period. So like that's that's major for businesses. So if you months. own a business, um, make sure that if, if obviously you fall into that category of having a drop in revenue, which I'm sure right now a lot of businesses are, um, take advantage of that. And then also if you've laid off employees, I've laid, I've had to lay, lay off employees. So I'm looking into the CHRP program. Um, take a look at that because it's a maximum of $1,129 per employee, I believe. Um. Per month. Yeah. Per is it per period or um, per it's per per week. That's mm-hmm. their so it's always indexed to the maximum pensionable earnings, which in Canada is sitting just under sixty thousand. Okay, so it's so per week. Basically anybody it's basically the amount that EI and CPP you pay right. into up to that maximum amount. Um it they've all been indexed to that. So yeah, yeah it's eleven twenty nine so, thirty two a week. Great yeah, great support again. Uh, for the small businesses, small, medium-sized businesses by the government. So kudos to them. They know that this is the tough time for a lot of these, um, a lot of these businesses during COVID. Mm-hmm. On to um, the second point. On the second point, I'm going to take this one. Yeah. Um, it's a big, big win for me. National childcare, um, thirty billion dollars over five years. So it's sitting at number two, uh, six billion dollars annually. Um, basically, they. They've um, committed to cutting uh, childcare fees in half by the end of next year. And then by 2025, it'll be $10 a day per kid. Um, so if you've listened to our last episode, you'll know that I was a big champion of national childcare. He's I think, biased. I, yeah, I'm biased. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly think that, I, I mean, take, take this as an example. Kindergarten to grade 12, universal schooling has been probably one of the largest positive impacts on our economy, right? Because not only are the kids going somewhere so that the parents can work, but you're getting an education, right? Right. So I still, I still lump in childcare in with the school system, like public education as being like a great investment. And I think I was, I was reading, I was reading up on this because we are arguing over this point, but, um, uh, the Financial Post is reporting that for every dollar that the government will spend on childcare, they'll receive anywhere from a dollar fifty to two dollars and forty-eight cents back in increased economic output. Hmm. That's huge. 
So if you're if you're looking at it from a ROI perspective, right? 50% to 100 and whatever percent return on your investment. It's not too bad. No, that's huge. Right? Yeah. And at the same time it makes a lot of people very happy. Yeah. No, and I think uh, you alluded to the dollar figure per day, right? $10 a day. Yeah, $10 yeah. a day eventually by 2025, which will match what Quebec has. What does this start off at? Like, what, what will it, when does this come into play? Do, do, have they released when, when it's going to come into play? Yeah, I think it's like almost immediately they're going to okay. be transferred. Well, the, so for those of you who don't understand how our um, confederation works, but uh, in Canada, the, the provinces rule over various things, including education, which childcare falls under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the government can't mandate certain things like childcare, but what they can do is they can say to the province, well, if you want, um, you know, in the case of BC, maybe it'll be $1 billion a year. You're going to mandate that each, um, childcare center cuts fees in half and then gets those, uh, that amount back in subsidies from the government. So basically that's how that's going to work next year. Right. And then eventually... The provinces will have from now until 2025 to come up with a plan to get every child care center down to $10 a day per kid. Okay. And then how does it work in on the standpoint of the parents? So let's just say I have a kid and I drop them off at child care. Does, does that subsidy come directly to me as a parent or does it go to the child care and they just adjust my daily rate for it? So I think that's going to depend on who is in power in each province. Okay. If you're looking at BC, we have the NDP. They're a very centrist party. I would assume that they're just going to subsidize the child care center and deal with it that way. Yeah. Smart way of doing it. In Ontario, I can see Doug Ford probably, or Alberta or Saskatchewan who have mm. conservative parties in power. I'm assuming what they would do with that is they're going to direct payment to parents. Right. Because that's what Harper did. Harper tried to do that for... Um, his childcare program. He basically um, came up with a, a plan that would get give parents money every single month in a direct cash payment to offset the cost of childcare. Right. Whereas I think what will happen in in BC and what the Liberals are probably thinking federally is that they would want it to be subsidized and administrated through the province, so that you know if you drop your kid off, you're getting a bill for you know ten dollars a day. Yeah. Um, at the end of the month or at the end of the week or right. whatever it is, right? Right, right. Nothing, um, more, nothing more than that. Right? Yeah, so I assume it's going to come down to the provinces, but they eventually you're probably going to get it down to either you're going to get a direct cash payment that's going to offset the average cost of child care or you're going to get to take your kid to, to child care and it's going to be $10 a day billed to you. It's going to be a huge business opportunity. Yeah, they're building, I think it was 2,700 new um uh, child care centers in, in, in BC alone. Wow. 2,700. They just announced that today, BC, because the NDP also had a $10 child care, um, $10 yeah. a day child care initiative. Right. So they're probably just going to be taking the money from the feds and putting it into their plan. Wow. Um, but yeah, they, 2,700 new centers with, um, you know, it was in the thousands of yeah. new spaces for children. Yeah. So just to touch on this point, um, I don't have a child, right now um but i'm quite passionate about uh early childhood development when it comes to knowledge and education um and i believe that you know if you follow the european model 
um, kids in the UK, I believe they start going to, like, formally start going to school, I believe, at age three or four. Okay, so a so couple years before our kindergarten? A couple years before us, right? And frankly speaking, you know, those are, like, your f- prime years to learn mm-hmm. that. Those early years, that's when you can possibly even learn a few languages, possibly learn how to pick up on certain cues and whatever it may be, right? Um, I just hope that going forward with these funds that are available, that childcare isn't just a place that you drop off your kids and they stay there while you go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, certain programs are developed within these childcare centers and the owners and, and the management teams that are running these childcare centers, I hope they incorporate um, innovative methods that are able to provide the most amount of benefits to the children and to the parents of the children with these funds. So whether that means running like a coding boot camp for like six, seven year olds, mm-hmm. you know, teach these kids how to run Python or Java, um, use those government funds to give these kids that, you know, Ivy League type of background without them having to have like a parent that's Warren Buffett or Zuckerberg or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So basically, set them up for success. Basically, you're saying like, regardless of who you are and how much money your parents have and mm-hmm. this, that and the other, that these childcare centers could be the opportunity for those kids to, exactly. you know, start off on an equal footing. Yep. Right. Because yep. we know that there's kids who grow up who don't get um, any attention from an academic perspective, mm-hmm. maybe they maybe they arrive in kindergarten, you know, developmentally a little bit behind. Yep, exactly. Um, and then they're behind forever, right? Because mm-hmm. they never really get that care and attention. Yep. So I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the equality of, um, of the beginning, like the start opportunity. Yep. Um, I think we would probably both agree that um, maybe later on in life, if you've made a bunch of mistakes and bad decisions, then maybe you shouldn't get so much help. But um, children haven't made any mistakes. Exactly. So if you can if you can give everybody an equal footing, an equal starting point, um, that would be an excellent investment uh, in in that whole generation. Because you know who knows um, what kids might grow up to be. Exactly. Um, the next you know whatever it is, even if yeah. they're you know productive members of society, like yeah. starting businesses and stuff, maybe it propels them to that point. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, and that's when I saw this program roll out when I was reading over the budget, I, I, that's the first thing I thought about. I was like, all right, great. You know, I can't obviously take advantage of it. It doesn't provide any value to me per se, not direct value, indirect value for sure. Um, but if I did have children, like that would be the first thing that I would look at. It wouldn't even be like, oh, I'm getting my childcare subsidized. Mm-hmm. It would more so be, okay, what are my children able to learn and take advantage of? based on this cash infusion coming from from the government and, yeah. and i and i really do hope like to i don't know if anyone of our listeners are in this uh industry or is looking to start a child care center but seriously just think of innovative ways um don't just stick to like the sandbox and the painting and oh parents are going to pick them up in seven hours or whatever the hell it is mm-hmm. you know teach these kids something i don't know teach them Teach them economics when they're seven, eight years old. Teach them about the free market economy. I thought you were going to say when they're three. No, you know, when they're three. Right? Like, teach them coding. Teach them, um, teach them about like uh, whatever, whatever, like the innovative ways that we have to like teach them about philosophy, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important that we put these children on a um, pedestal. No. Track, track to success. Yeah, exactly. You got mm-hmm. the funds for it. You're getting it directly from the government now. So kudos to all the parents. You guys basically got a bailout. I might have to have a couple kids here. 
All right. I don't need my parents to babysit my children anymore. Exactly. So Great. then you, now your parents can still go to work and earn more money and pay more tax and then... Yeah, and pay for the programs, basically. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> moving on. Um, and you know, if, if there's any teachers that listen to this, they're going to be either laughing or like really pissed off with that last section. Well, just us, oh, yeah. us two just... meatheads talking about teaching some four-year-old some economics. They're going to be like, what the hell are you yeah, talking these about? These two idiots don't know anything. <laughs> um, okay, so next um, next uh, step on the budget. This is kind of the last, I think, well, second to last big option on the budget. Uh, indigenous infrastructure investments. Now, this one is $18 billion over the next five years, so about $3.6 billion uh, per year. This one is interesting because it was actually part of a um, campaign promise from Trudeau back in 2016 when he first ran. He wanted to get all First Nation communities across Canada off of boil water advisors. Mm. Because I think, I'm sure you know this, but maybe the listeners don't, but there's a lot of... um, First Nations reserves around yeah. the country who had, don't have access to clean drinking water. So they have to consistently buy bottled water all the time, yeah. which is horrendous in a country like ours. Especially out east, I believe. Yeah, it's and like in the prairies. Yeah, it's yeah. a more prevalent problem out there. But it's, yeah, it's quite terrible and it's quite saddening. Yeah, that's a that's a terrible situation to, to have anybody in, in this country. I mean, the fact that, I mean, we look at that the, the, the stuff that happened in Flint, right? Yeah, insane. And that was that was preposterous. Like we were mm-hmm. like, what the? How does a country have like not clean drinking water? Yeah. And then we look in our own backyard, and it's happening here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was looking that up today. 156 First Nations reserves were on boil water advisories in 2016 at the time of the election promise. Um, 54 are still on boil water advisories. So we've made about 100, taken 100 off of them. That's huge. Uh, which is great. Um, but we should make sure that that's zero and that should be zero across the board for anybody living in, you know, anywhere on this, in this country. Um, so that 18 billion largely going to water infrastructure projects, but, um, I believe there was a few utilities projects. So clean power, um, access to, um, reliable electricity. I I was reading, like, there's a, there's a few first nations bands that have intermittent, uh, blackouts because, their access, because they're so remote, they don't have access to like a reliable source of power. Wow. So a lot of them have generators and stuff like that power, you know, the neighborhood. Yeah. A um, lot of places run on diesel. Like a lot, most of the public uh, buildings, even in BC, there was one, um, Northern BC. Um, it was the building that they were doing the vaccines in hmm. and they ran out of diesel fuel and they subsequently ran out of electricity and then and then this the vaccine spoiled wow that's so, insane that's ridiculous i believe some of this money is also going into building better power generating uh, infrastructure whether or not that's you know um a very like a group of different types of power generation so maybe some wind power um maybe better transition lines from um like hydroelectric dams into the reserves just yeah. getting them a more reliable source of power so that they can you know start business and have you know electricity that turns on all the time yeah when, whenever you need it um so that's a super important part of the um of the budget i think um 
it's a good job creator too. Yeah. Right. Like if yeah. you got to send a bunch of people to um, go and build, you know, uh, water treatment plants mm-hmm. um, or use, you know, local uh, indigenous um, employees, you know, when, when you can. And, and that's the other thing. Like, I think all these programs, like the first three that we've checked off, um, well, these three initiatives, all the money flows down mm-hmm. into the mass population. Directly into small business owners, families, and indigenous people. Exactly. And that's great to see. And that's what collectively, what is that? Over the next five years, 48, uh, over $60 billion, right? Right around $60 billion mm-hmm. over the next five years. That's a lot of money. It is, but it's going right back into the, like, I mean, yeah, it's paid for by the taxpayers. It's going right back into the taxpayers. It's not bailing out Chrysler Mm -hmm. again, like we did in 2008. And some CEO getting paid a hundred million dollars or whatever stupid amount they got. Yeah, exactly. Unless, I mean, there's obviously opportunity that, um, you know, the government appoints this board that oversees the national childcare initiative and it's just, you know, a bunch of bureaucracy, but Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think it would largely go, I mean, there's not going to, there's not national childcare, um, corporations, right? Like it's small businesses, not yet. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's small businesses, uh, families and indigenous people. So, I mean, like that's a excellent three, uh, groups of people that largely make up, you know, the lower middle class, right? Like yes, yeah. huge, huge, biggest, huge population number, biggest taxpayer base. Um, okay, so moving on from that one, we're seeing increases in old age security. Um, so this one's kind of boring, but I mean, it's good in a sense because um, it's just increasing payments that are already, are already there. So there's not going to be any additional bureaucracy involved in that. It's it's just upping um, the OAS payments to anybody that's retired. So um, in Canada, we have two different forms of uh, national pension plans. So we have the CPP, which everyone pays into. Um, so you get that no matter what. And then you have old age security. So what that is supposed to do is it's a program that basically supplements CPP payments when you're retired. And if you if you make like way too much money, it get, gets clawed back. Okay. So if you have a bunch of investments or you still own a business or you're still working, it's going to get clawed back and, and the government recollects it. But it's good in a sense because it keeps every senior citizen above the poverty line. Or mm-hmm. that's, the problem, that's technically the point of it. And I think this is just increasing basically the payments by 175 bucks a month. Um, over the next five years, basically, it's kind of coming in $2.4 billion a year. And um, yeah, it's just increasing the payments that are already there. So that's right. a that's a good direct cash injection into the economy as well. Right. Yeah, and the next one is one uh, percent tax on foreign owned homes. That's big. Yeah. So this this is our first revenue generator. It is. Yeah. So that's where. So I guess yeah. Just before we go into this point, uh, this is something that I was thinking about, and I'm sure Jane was as well. We see all the spending. We see a huge deficit number being posted up. We're like, where the frick is all this money coming from, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now, like Jane said, this is um, this is one of the revenue generators. So, uh, as I'm sure a lot of uh, Canadians know, in key cities like Vancouver and Toronto, I don't know about Montreal so much, but Vancouver and Toronto for sure, um, there are a lot of foreign-owned homes, mm-hmm. and these homes are worth a lot of money. So. That's a one. Per, that's a that's a decent decent amount of a tax on foreign owned homes, and 
you know, it's it's taxing and it's, it's kind of taxing the rich. It's taxing the people that have the money. Taxing the rich and taxing the people who don't even pay, largely don't pay taxes here. Mm-hmm. Right? Or but spend still their take money advantage here, of right? the system and still live here. And if, somebody, if, if somebody living in China is owning a home in Vancouver and never steps foot in our country, what, what good are they doing Nothing. here? Right? Nothing. Like, yeah. if if you're moving here and you're starting a business or you're bringing your family over or whatever like that's that's this is not going to apply to you this is strictly people who are sitting overseas owning hoses to rent them or to yeah. just sit on them for capital appreciation but my one quarrel with this is there's ways around this it's not easy let's be real here if i'm some chinese billionaire am i really going to buy a house from china no i'll just buy a company here a ccpc mm-hmm. or become a shareholder of it get that Canadian controlled private corporation to buy a house for me on my behalf. But, and here's some tax rules around this. It's not a CCPC unless you have majority ownership mm-hmm. with Canadian citizens, right? Yeah, so, but there's ways around it. So, but yeah, you could, so say there's a Chinese billionaire sends his kid over here who yep. becomes a Canadian citizen yep. and they own, and he owns a, a corp. I mean, there, yeah, there is going to be there ways around it. However, I have seen like good examples of with the speculation tax actually pushing people to start renting out houses in Vancouver. Hmm. So I know people based on the work that I do that in 2019, I believe, or 2018, I think was when they did that speculation tax. And they were paying like fourteen to $20,000 a year on their condos in Vancouver that they weren't renting. Right. They specifically own those places um, for, you know, their own use. Yeah. And they basically were just going to sit on it for capital appreciation and make, you know, a million bucks over the next 20 years and right. use it whenever they felt like it. Yeah. Um, they ended up renting every single one of those people that I saw pay that tax. And I don't see a whole lot of them, but I, like a handful, like a I would say them, like yeah. 15. Um, every single one of them was renting it by the next year. Yeah, because you got to make up that shortfall. Sometime. Right, because then now not only do you have, um, it's almost like an opportunity benefit. Like it's the opposite of an opportunity cost, right? Because if you can rent out your house, you're getting all that rental income. Mm-hmm. And you're also not having to pay that speculation tax. So yep. it's like a double yep. whammy to the good side, right? Yeah. Um, so I think these things do work. Um, how effective they really are is probably... That's a question to be asked, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. how much it's actually going to impact housing affordability is probably negligent. I it, mean, if I'm yeah. a Chinese billionaire, I don't care about 1% tax. It, that's exactly what I was going to say. So that 1% tax, just to clarify, is that on the fair market value of the house? Yeah, it's on the appraised value the, of, of the house. On, on a yearly basis. Yeah. So it's not a one-time tax. It's no, it's not a one. So if I have a house that's $4 million... Right, I'm paying forty thousand dollars every year. Yeah, but a lot of people from China will probably chalk that up to a, uh, like a just a cost of doing business. Sure. Right. Uh, yeah. Because um, if we're, you, we're not singling out the Chinese. No, uh, I, like let's say billionaires, like it, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Yeah, just so happens. Taiwan that. is definitely its own country. Exactly. Um, Any foreign. Uh, Japanese, the Americans, Germans, anybody from any other country, if you're owning a house here, there's probably a reason. Um, And I mean, okay, if you if you owned a a four million dollar house in Vancouver last year and paid a 40 percent tax on it this year, you're the increase the value of your house went up by way more than 40. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. 
so they they wouldn't really care like at the end of the day i think that one percent yeah if i had a four million dollar house frankly speaking forty thousand to me and we're a personal finance podcast at the end of the day what the hell is forty thousand dollars to someone that can afford that type of a house and even think about it from our perspective like let's say you know so my house is five hundred thousand do i care about a five thousand dollar tax no because you because just, yeah. my house went up 150 grand in the last year. Exactly. I mean, it's obviously, okay, it's not going to do that every single year, but it, but you know what I mean, right? Like the $5,000 compared to the $500,000 that the house is worth, it's, it's not, not a whole lot. It's not, it's pennies compared to what you're investing in, right? And you're probably just going to just shell it up. You're going to be like, ah, this is just the cost of living here, mm-hmm. right? It's not like you're going to up and move to another place. Exactly. Right? Or move your money somewhere else. Exactly. Now, so, if they had balls, the Liberal government would have done a five, seven, ten percent. But that you know what happens then? I, I thought about this as well. What happens? I don't know too much about um, the market out in Toronto. Um, I frankly think that Toronto's more so focused around like the GTA, like the Toronto area, mm-hmm. whereas Vancouver is more so broad. Like we're seeing a lot of these foreign investors and, and foreign wealthy individuals come in and buy houses in West Van, North Van, Vancouver, Surrey, White Rock, wherever it may be. Um, this money being splashed around on real estate, mm-hmm. it would have stopped. And that's providing, like you said, British Columbia, gosh, like you go down to Vancouver right now, like a $20 million house is not unheard of. Like there's a lot of $20 million houses down there. Oh yeah. Right. And there's people out there that are willing to pay $20 million for a house. And the government knows that they're not stupid. And these guys are going to pay property tax. They're going to pay the PTT. They're going to pay the GST on it. They're going to pay a bunch of shit on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. you yeah, can't do for that. Sure. And you have a ready market. I hate to say it. You have Hong Kong, what? Six hour flight away. Vancouver is the ideal spot. It's a gorgeous city. It's six hours away. You know, you want to buy a $20 yeah. million house here, pay the taxes, spend money in a huge city like Vancouver. Go ahead. I'd rather see us offer residency to any Hong Kong resident and have them get out of there before the CCP takes them over. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Come bring you. all your money over here, but actually live here. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and a lot of them do live over here, but um, like you said, a lot of them just have these places just for, you know. Well, it's capital protection. Capital, exactly. Right, because the CCP, like well, for people who don't understand this, China's government has its hands in everything. Yeah. Right. Like it could, it knows how much is in your bank account. It knows what your transactions are. It has cameras everywhere. It's watching what you do, where you go, what you buy. And if some person like Jack Ma isn't safe, nobody's safe. Like someone that's built one of the largest companies in the whole world. Yeah. And that's scaring a lot of people. Yeah. So if that guy is not safe, um, any millionaire or billionaire in Hong Kong is definitely going to try and move his money somewhere else. And And it's largely going to be Canada, the United States. And, and not even Canada, I would say, I think I read a statistic over here. It was above 50%. It gets moved to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, specifically Vancouver. Specifically yeah. Vancouver, because it's so close to them. They, they're so they're six hours away. Toronto's too far to them. And I mean, it's probably the one of the nicest cities on the planet. So it's exactly. tough to not make an investment there. Yeah, so yeah. no 1% tax is huge. Um, 400 million a year in taxation revenues is projected by this. But um, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a whole lot of money. If you th- if you think about like the output. No, definitely isn't. Right? The um, cash outflows that are going out and the cash inflows, like 400 million is a drop in the bucket. 
but it is something and and frankly speaking i'm glad that it's coming at the expense of um the foreign people that have it and not us yeah yeah <laughs> not even the foreign owners but like yeah well in this case foreign foreign yeah foreign owned homes but those people that actually have the disposable income yeah pay for it mm-hmm. so good on good on jt for that but i'm with jane why not just boost it up to five percent i mean say five. what happens <laughs> right like if you go five to seven or ten percent of foreign ownership tax either they pay it and you've turned this 400 million into, into you know gosh four billion a year <laughs> right which four billion basically pays for a t- national child care program pretty much if they don't pay it then they sell their houses to Canadians and Canadians then build home equity who maybe weren't going to be able to do that in the first place. True, but we don't have a lot of Canadians that can afford a... No, but but had the prices dropped, see, this is what I think would happen, right? Is I think what would happen is basically you'd have, uh, you'd cut off the, the flow of capital coming from Asia into Vancouver and houses would either stagnate or they drop, drop. as they're trying to be sold, right? And then what you'd have is you'd have all of these Canadian people who were like, hey, I, I want a house. And see, like the demand is there, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to purchase isn't because of the cost. Right. But the demand is there. Yeah. So I don't think you see a massive crash. I think you see like a, a trough where housing prices do drop and kind of level out and then people buy them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very possible. Because, and then look at it from this perspective. If you're the government, do you want some guy from Hong Kong or New York or Tokyo buying a house, making $2 million off of it over the next 25 years and then selling it and never spending a dime here? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather a Canadian family make that money and retire on it and spend it and leave it to their kids and build generational wealth? It's true. Very true. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's like, it'd almost be like ripping off a Band-Aid. It's going to hurt it first, but I think if you... It'll heal over time. It, it would. Yeah. I would assume. I don't think Vancouver's ever going to have an issue with not having demand for housing there. Um, next thing is basically the exact same point. There's affordable housing um, uh, money being injected. Basically, this goes straight to building affordable housing complexes. So... I think it's subsidizing house um, uh, builds where like, and we see this kind of around town. Um, there's a, there's various developments where, yep. you know, maybe a family's making um, under a certain amount per year. Well, instead of having them rent, let's let them purchase a house that's subsidized at first and they're going to pay into the program over time. It helps them build equity. It helps them get into that housing market, that kind of thing. Right. Um, I think it's largely going into the existing programs. I don't think there's anything new coming from that, but 350 million a year. That's quite a bit, quite a bit. And it's, again, I think uh, this is good and it's needed at a time when house prices across the nation are at an all time high. Yeah. So, and a lot of um, families, individuals that can't afford to get into um, a house or a condo or an apartment or whatever, maybe a residential unit, um, this is this is like an alternative and 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 gives them that little bit of of, of a push towards getting that ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively small compared to the other programs, but I think it's a good start. Um, next next topic, uh, fifteen dollar minimum wage. This one, I don't really know what the costs are to taxpayers. Um, it's a federally mandated law, right? 
But I mean, in BC and Ontario, Quebec, it's it's already above fifty. No, no, BC not yet. I thought it was five, fifteen, twenty-five this June. This June it is, yeah. But by the by the time this goes in, into play, right, it'll yeah. already be about fifteen, yeah. right? Right now, I believe it's fourteen. No, no, no. I believe it's twenty. I'll have to check into that. I believe it's fourteen. It's fourteen sixty right now. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it's going to be fourteen ninety-five this June, and I believe next June it's going to be at, at fifteen. Okay. Per, but don't quote me on that. But I believe it's that's a big jump from fourteen sixty to fifteen twenty-five. Yeah, especially for high volume. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, at at the end of the day, it's almost there. Right. We were almost there. I, this is this is specifically targeted at Alberta, Saskatchewan, Makes and sense. Manitoba, yeah. and the Atlantic provinces. Yeah. The cost to the taxpayers, I'll I'll tell you as it is as someone that does have payroll. Um, the costs are cost of goods are going to go up. Simple as that, right? Like every time there's a wage increase. Um, the cost for you know a single beer or or a six pack or a twelve pack that's gonna go up because it it flows downhill. Um, people like me will see it from their suppliers and then I gotta adjust for it on my mm-hmm. end because the suppliers have um, their wage cost as well. So will it be a huge change? No, probably not. It'll probably be like seventy cents or ninety cents a six pack, mm-hmm. something small that'll be very unnoticeable. It won't be like someone's going to come in here and be like, screw that. I'm not drinking beer anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, it'll be really negligible at the end of the day. And um, frankly speaking, you know what? I, I think it's needed. Uh, Jane and I have talked about this a lot. We've seen the cost of goods rise exponentially. Cost of real estate rise exponentially over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, cost of education rise exponentially. But wages have stagnated. Yeah, that's um, since the 80s, they really haven't moved. They haven't moved whatsoever. And if you look at like some of these graphs that are published by some very, very uh, reputable entities um, like HBR, Harvard Business Review, they do this quite a bit. Um, London School of Economics does this quite a bit. You look at the cost of goods and the cost of real estate and like a lot of the cost of these things that we consume and, and we need for survival. It's like an upward pick. Um that's quite drastic. And then our wages are very, very flatlined. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, $15 at the end of the day is not a whole lot. Like, I don't know. I don't eat a lot of fast food, but I don't even know what a Big Mac meal is nowadays. It's probably around there, like 11, 12 bucks, maybe 10, 10, 12 bucks. Yeah, I'd assume there. so. I mean, right? you can get the two can dine for twelve ninety nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes some... I do that after a tough night but um that's it that's date night for Jaden right there can die for 12. that's single night for me. podcast this is how you save money you take your wife to mcdonald's um, sorry kelsey <laughs> no she'd be pumped she'd be getting 20 but, 20 mcnuggets but no i think it's needed um like i said it, we just we have costs that are going up and if people aren't getting paid enough which what they aren't um it's it's gonna really contribute to the income inequality that we're already seeing in this nation. Well, I, I think the most important thing about this is, and I, I didn't put this down in my notes here, but the minimum wage is going to be in, once we hit this 15, because this is a big number, right? Like everyone's talking about 15. Once you hit 15, it's indexed to inflation. Yeah, pretty much. No, no, no. That's what the rule is now. Is that, is that what yeah, it that, is? That's okay. That's what their intention well, is. Okay, yeah. So, which is good because it's not, it's not going to, there's no more bullshit political arguments. You don't have the right being like, no, 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 businesses will completely collapse if you raise it by 25 cents. And then you don't have the left asking for, you know, 
$4 increases per year, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, here's 15. This is what we've all kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is doable, right? I think both uh, both of us would agree, like as uh, owners of a small business, we, we see that $15 minimum wage. Uh, we know where our wage is above that. Um, I, I feel like that, that, that level's achievable. I think you feel like that level's achievable, right? Yeah. Things will go up, right? Like you, get, like you say, you raise your, your six pack of beer by 70 yeah. cents, yeah. but you can do it. You, it make, you can make it work. Yeah. And then at that point now it's indexed to inflation. So now as a business owner, now we know, okay, it's not gonna jump from $11 to 15 in three years. It's gonna be 15 and then it's gonna be 15. Oh, five, oh, 15, five. 10 or whatever. And then yeah. it's gonna be 15, yeah. 12. And then yeah. it, like, you know, it's gonna be keep, keep going up. Yeah. And then we know that we can project, okay, this is what wage wage increases are gonna be over the next you yep. know, X number of years. We can plan for this, we can plan around it. You know, we can cut costs here, there and, and everywhere to, to afford these increases in wages. So I think that that's a really good plan because get to your point where you want it, that you wanna fight for and then just index it yep. and then have it so that you can plan ahead. Yeah, and, and, and just to touch on that point, it's a little bit unrelated, but for business owners that have uh, a decent payroll, doesn't even have to be a decent payroll, but even if you have two or three people on payroll, now your minimum wage is going to 15. If you have to increase their wages proportionally, even if they're, let's just say they're getting paid 17 right now, mm-hmm. and they say, well, what the hell, man? I wanna, I wanna get a proportional increase. Okay, that's fair, fair argument. You give them that. Make sure that you reflect that on your services or the goods that you're selling. Mm-hmm. If you can, I know with franchises, it's a little bit different, but, but if you can, and if you have control over the, um, pricing, make sure you reflect those changes because now as a business, your income statement year over year, you're not just looking for an inflation increase of 2% or 3% or 5%, whatever your goal is. Mm -hmm. You got to factor in these cost increases. So like minimum wage is a direct cost that's going to increase. You know, I don't know what the percentage is. It's going to be different for everyone based on their payroll. But whatever that percentage increases year over year from your average hourly wage to whatever your average hourly wage is now, make sure you make up for that mm-hmm. in your business. Because that's what I'm I'm going to be doing this June. Um, frankly speaking, from, coming from my perspective, I believe that this minimum wage should be hedged or supported by... A government program the cws kind of does do that but i don't believe that businesses that have been hit by the covid pandemic in a, in a very very hard manner should mm-hmm. be taking the brunt end of this minimum wage increase because one you're just trying to make up for your losses now number two shit now i gotta pay a bunch of my workers more money again unpopular opinion possibly i just think that it's not appropriate right now if this was not a covid year Great, bring on the fifteen dollars minimum wage. It's a COVID year. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the hope is that okay, everyone else is doing. It appears as though really well, right? Because we're seeing we're seeing those like little pockets of the economy like really hurt. Yeah, and then some some people and then people are uh, the rest there. of the economy is just blowing everything out of the water. Yeah. So you're assuming that okay, once the, everything opens back up, once we all get vaccinated, then that will fall over to you know, a restaurant or a tourism business exactly. or, you know, yeah. the a hotel or whatever it is yeah. or the hotels, whatever yeah. it is. Right. So, um, I think that that hopefully that kind of follows through so that, you know, it, maybe your demand is going to be up so high 
Because, you know, for you, how many people are going to want to go out and have beers or drinks with their buddies? Like everybody's going to. Yeah, once right? once so, May Long hits, hopefully we open up by May Long. Yeah, it, it'll be insane. Yeah, be so insane. after those restrictions lift and everyone's getting vaccinated in, in this summer, that demand should offset any additional costs. And they, sure. I think that's the kind of the hope, right? Yep. Um, so hopefully that kind of pans yep. out. So on to the next one. Um, green infrastructure investments. Big, um, big as well. Well, not number standpoint, it's not huge. No, 700 million over the, uh, per year. So 5 billion over the next seven. Um, so this one was actually, actually blew me out of the water. I was not expecting this one because, um, so it's headlined by two points. One of them is specifically assisting heavy emitters and the Canadian industry so to meet their climate targets. So what the government's saying is, hey, we're going to hit these climate goals. But they're not leaving the, you know, the potash industry in Saskatchewan or the mining industry in the Yukon or the oil industry in Alberta. They're not leaving them, hanging them out to dry. They're yeah. saying, okay, we're going to pump this money into you guys to invest into these cleaner um, technologies so that you guys can, you know, reduce your emissions enough to meet our goal collectively. Yeah. So that, I think, I think that was actually very, very, um, fossil fuel, uh, industry, um, friendly from the liberals. Like, and quite innovative and, and a different approach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody from Alberta thinks Trudeau hates oil, Yeah, but I mean, the guy's bought a pipeline to build it because the company wouldn't build yeah. it. And now he's investing money directly into the oil sands. Tossing you guys hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. Um, and then the second one, which again, weird coming from the liberals, 50% uh, corporate tax rate cut. I saw that, that's huge. Manufacturers of clean energy equipment. So I think this is an excellent um, initiative from them because A, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see these companies that are making this clean energy equipment, they're going to be, be driving jobs here in Canada. It's not going overseas. Yeah. Because if you like, um, I was I was looking at a company today, Algonquin Power. Uh, I mean, the, the markets were blood red today. Like everything was down. I was down uh, like one and a half percent. But Algonquin Power was up like over a percent. Mm-hmm today because they're a clean energy um, production company. Basically, they develop clean energy infrastructure and all that kind of thing um, based in Ontario. And um, their stock was up huge. I mean, they, got, they just got a 50% corporate tax rate overnight just because of what industry they're in. That's that's enormous, yeah, right? it's massive. Um, so they're, they're, bas they're basically paying small business tax rate on uh, public company income. That's insane. Yeah, that's I huge. Wish, I wish. So maybe we start to see companies either, um, either that's a huge incentive for somebody to start a clean energy company, right? Mm -hmm. Or we're gonna see the, um, companies coming up from the States, um, you know, developing manufacturing facilities here in yeah. Canada. And take advantage of the corporate tax cut. Yeah, that's huge. That's a that's a that's yeah. an awesome initiative from the liberals. I think I'm really happy with that one. Yeah, I, and, I, and I saw that as well. And my first thought was same thing. Uh, that it's gonna push innovation, you know, within these companies mm -hmm. uh, with a fifty percent corporate tax cut, bring in foreign companies. Doesn't even have to be the states; it could be European. Who knows, right? Um, but yeah, it's good on them for actually doing something. I think we touched on this pre previously. We just talked about it amongst ourselves, but we didn't know what um, how important climate was in this budget, considering 
all the other shit that these guys had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, was climate one of those things that you just put on the back burner for this year and say, hey, we got a pandemic on our hands. I'm sorry. We just don't have the money. But good on them. Like, it's not a whole lot. It's 700 million a year. It's not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But um, it is quite a bit. Like, and, and they're doing it in a proper manner, I think. Yeah, and I think they're allowing... Okay, what basically what they're saying is, okay, right now we can't afford to spend money on it because we're you know sending money directly to businesses to bail mm-hmm. them out, basically. But here, if you're a clean energy company, come, in, come into Canada. Come into Canada, create jobs, and you'll pay half the rate of tax that you'll pay anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so... And, and it's cheap. The government doesn't have to do that much, right? Because it's just, all it's doing is cutting a rate. It's not funding a program. It's not, um, you know, it's not building the infrastructure and owning it and maintaining it itself. It's saying, hey, companies, come take the risk, come develop this for us, but we're going to cut your corporate tax. So Yeah. I The one negative to this that I see is that those tax savings going in a wrong direction. Yeah, getting into the hands of the CEOs and the executives and whoever the owners, and then them just, you know, using it for their own personal advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, the rich get richer at the end of the day. Like that's that's quite the motto. And you know what? Like that's um, that's the free market economy, right? Because everyone's in it for themselves. Um, so we can't really, you know, cause you know place so much judgment into that one saying because it is true. The rich will always get richer, um, but. Something like this, 50%, that's huge. That's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, that's not pennies and, you know, dimes or nickels. That's, you know, millions, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. That's going to be going into, back into these companies through tax savings. Mm-hmm. And then what they do with it, who knows? Hopefully it's investing here. Hopefully it's investing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you hope for the best, but it could also be someone buying a Lamborghini. Yeah, at the end of the day. <laughs> right. But then they're going to get caught up with that new um, luxury vehicle tax that Trudeau's got yes. in his budget. Yes, yeah. very true. Yeah, that we don't have on our list. But yeah. um, Going into number nine, that's another... Uh, I was really excited about this, actually. Um, an- another green initiative was home retrofits. So basically, it's $4.4 billion that's been given out to... What is it? Uh, it's CMHC. I'm sorry? So the Canadian Mortgage Housing Corp. Yeah. Um, they're basically just giving out interest-free loans. Interest-free loans to retrofit homes in an environmentally friendly manner. Um, huge. I think that's big. So whether that's solar panels, geothermal heating. I think um, it's even like if you want to redo your insulation. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm uh, sure. Get new windows. Re- like, yeah, I was yeah. just going to say the windows. Um, that's massive, especially because after COVID, I don't know if Jane and I have talked about this, but a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, they're probably spending a lot more time at home now, mm-hmm. or maybe even spending a lot more time on their houses, mm-hmm. right? Like just going to the garden and, or maybe even like cleaning around the house or figuring out, oh, this window's got a little draft in it, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is huge. And instead of us just replacing a window for the freaking heck of it in a most cost-effective manner, which probably your dad and my dad have done in the past... Now it gives us an incentive being like, all right, you know what? Let's just find like an environmentally friendly way of doing this. Yeah. And like, let's do it right. And, you know, it's interest free. So like you're getting money to invest in your home. And if you know, we look at Canadian housing, it's always going to go up eventually over time. Right. So um, basically what you're doing is the government's giving people free money to go do renovations on their houses. A, your housing value is going to go up a lot. 
B, your utility costs are going to go down. Yeah. yeah. And C, your emissions are going to decrease. Yeah. So exactly. it's kind of, and you pay no interest. So huge, huge. Um, triple win for so if homeowners. So if, if, if someone does, if, if for all the homeowners out there, um, especially during these times, if you're looking into renovations, if you're looking into redoing certain things around your house, take a look at some of these programs that'll be available to you because interest-free loans are always great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, number 10, digital services tax. So this is kind of a two-parter um, because one, it's a tax on um, revenues earned by tech companies who are selling things digitally to Canadians. I think also... And uh, there's GST now on digital sales. Correct. The other big whammy on this chain, you, I'm sure you caught this as well, it's not even just selling to Canadian consumers. It's relying on Canadian content. So I believe it's also a tax on Canadian data. So if you're using Canadian mm -hmm. data, you get taxed on that. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So and so basically any it's it's Netflix, it's Facebook, it's Google, it's Google's Amazon. Big, Google's the biggest one, yeah, probably. Yeah. So it's it's all of the the big tech. Basically like if you think of it in terms of like in the simplest form, like let's just say Google got your data and mm -hmm. then sold it to Nike. And then Nike used that to advertise to you directly, right? Yeah. They would charge 3% on that, whatever it was. And let's just say Nike paid, I don't know, $2,000. Right. Then that 3% would come directly to Google off that 2000 because you're a Canadian consumer and mm -hmm. a Canadian citizen. If um, Nike's paying $2,000 for my data, just email <laughs> me directly. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what kind of shoes <laughs> like for two grand yeah exactly give jane just give jane the two grand just send me a questionnaire i'll fill it out yeah. okay he'll buy a couple t-shirts off you every month yeah oh, wait, not every month. uh personal finance podcast don't, <laughs> don't be buying new shirts um yeah so and then also there's this weird um uh fine print on this one so three percent tax on the revenues to these companies but it will go away if canada enters into agreement which supersedes this tax on those companies so i don't know if you caught this the other day but janet yellen the um, treasury secretary of the mm -hmm. united states said that she wants to implement a 15 percent corporate tax rate worldwide <sighs> so you can't go to ireland anymore you can't go to the caymans you can't hide your money in the random country that just you know has no corporate tax rate yeah and um because as can as, as canadians i don't really this is not that much of an issue the Americans, it's massive. The fact that Apple doesn't pay any tax in the United States. It's huge. Like that's, they're, they're worth $2 trillion and they don't pay any tax. Mm -hmm. That is, that's ridiculous. So the government's going after them, understandably, of course, yeah. right? So what they're doing is they're trying to get, and the European Union has stated that they're on board on the, with this and the UK and obviously Canada based on this fine print that we're seeing in the budget. But basically what would happen is that these com these companies pay a 15% global tax no matter where they're lo locating their money. So now they don't have an incentive to remove money from Canada and move it to the Caymans. Yeah. Or move it from the United States and move it to Ireland. Yeah, whatever right? it may be. Yeah. Um, so basically that tax would completely be gone if we entered into this agreement with all these other countries. See, I, I have to disagree with that. Like I'm... I apologies to Yellen, but like I'm sure she couldn't foresee something like this 3% tax come out in the open what, one day ago or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, because this has always been a topic of conversation with regards to um, the tech companies. There's no real, like, for example, if I own a liquor store in Canada, I pay taxes to the Canadian government because I sell goods within my jurisdiction, right? Mm -hmm. Now, with tech companies, these guys have customers everywhere. And some of these tech companies, like it, Apple or Facebook, they don't really need to be in California. Shit, they couldn't, they couldn't even have an office. They could just be like, all right, screw it. We're just going to have one office, like a head office in New York. Everyone else works from home. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet they derive, they get all this revenue from a global um, consumer base. And that's been the question of like, why, why is it that Facebook is able, an American company is able to make money off a UK citizen, but the UK government makes no taxes off that. Mm -hmm. So I think this is beautiful. I think this 3% tax personally, I, I know, I know we're going to review it at the end of the day. Out of this whole budget, this is like one of my top points because these tax companies, it doesn't make sense, like you said, for Apple to make, I don't know what they made last quarter even, or I think Amazon. Last quarter is a hundred billion in revenue. A hundred billion in, in revenue. I don't know what their net income was, but. It doesn't make sense like for them to make, let's just say even like 20 or $30 billion in net income mm -hmm. in a quarter and to pay $0 in taxes to the government where they made that money from. Like, you know, it was... Yeah, it's largely sold, selling iPhones to Americans. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with selling iPhones to people in Ireland. Right. I think Apple's different. So we shouldn't talk about Apple, but like Amazon is a huge one, right? AWS, like Amazon mm -hmm. Web Services or Google's a massive one. Google's right. using Jaden's data. They're, you have Gmail. So they're using your data. Then yeah. they're going to sell to Nike or Lululemon or whatever the hell it is. They're going to see, okay, Jaden does this, does that. He likes this. But then the Canadian government makes no money off of you. And I hate to say it like, I'm sorry to everyone out there. We are a commodity at the end of the day. Human beings have become a commodity. Our yeah, if, data is a commodity. If you're using something for free, you are the product. You are the product. And it, you might as well get taxed for it. And our government use those tax dollars for a lot of these initiatives that we talked about today. So don't get your panties in a bunch or mm -hmm. us saying, hey, the government's not making money off of you because they should be making money off of you. That's just the age that we live yeah, in. Yeah, because it's going to benefit us, right? Exactly. So... I, I really like this 3% tax. Um, I don't agree with that 15% tax. I think each country should just make money off their own citizens. I, I don't I don't think that that needs to be... Or I, I think those could be mutually exclusive. I think you can have a tax on data sales mm -hmm. and also have a 15% minimum corporate tax rate on the planet, right? Because... We, we, we are the ones that are going to benefit the most from that corporate tax scheme, right? Like mm -hmm. the whole, the 15% globally, because, and the people who are going to benefit the least are Ireland and the Caymans and Bermuda yeah, and the tax, the tax havens, havens yeah. right? Yeah. So when we implement a, a program like that, I think we could say, okay, because, because right now for everyone who doesn't know, 13% tax on small businesses that make less than $500,000 a year in net income. And then it's a 28%. Uh, or twenty six percent tax rate, sorry, on um, anyone making over that. So uh, basically, all the big public companies that pay twenty six percent tax mm -hmm. in Canada, but none of them are are funneling their profits here, so they're basically paying zero, right? Because yeah. so what's the point of having twenty six if you know you're gonna have if you're getting zero at the end of the day? 
if you're going to say, okay, we're going to have a minimum of 15%, maybe, yeah, we, we could bump it up from 15%. But if Ireland has 15%, Apple's not going into the bureaucracy of no. filing their headquarters no, just to be stay in here. Dublin. Yeah. They're just going to be in San Francisco where yeah. they should be, where they are. Everyone yeah. knows that's where they are, right? So um, I don't think that you can... Nest- I don't. I agree with you. I like the tax. I like the 15% minimum corporate tax rate on the planet. I, I like that too. And I, I think they yeah. could be... In work in tandem, but the liberal government has said that if we implement a minimum tax on companies on the in the globe, then they'll remove three percent. But yeah. I still agree with your point there. I think that yeah, if Canadians are selling their data to Google or Amazon, um, our government should be able to collect taxes yeah. on that. And, and not even selling, like they're taking this data. Like it's not like you're giving. Well, you are giving. I mean, them when consent. you sign up for yeah. something, right? Like, you are giving them consent. You click that terms and conditions box. But, that's really like you're signing. Exactly. And yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think that a lot of that revenue should be coming back um, through tax dollars. So kudos to the Canadian government. I think that wraps it up, right? We got yeah. all our points there. That's our top 10. That's our top 10. So it's um, huge. Again, massive. Yeah, 500 just, billion over the next two years or last year and this year. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's it's the largest spending package that we've ever seen uh, out of our our government. And um, I mean, everyone's doing it. Everybody in the Western world is spending like this. So um, we might as well too and just see how it goes. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and I think overall, um, so we have three metrics that we divvy this up on. Um, number one, biggest thing was what do we think in terms of um, COVID, um, what were what was the approach with the budget towards COVID, and what what are the benefits that it provides to those affected by COVID? Um, number two was the value that Canadian citizens will see from this budget, and number three was what is the value slash the return on investment, the ROI that the Canadian government itself will see, um, and the Canadian I shouldn't say the Canadian government, the Canadian nation. Um, the the nation as a whole and the government will see from this budget. So your take, Jin? On number one, I think if we're looking at specifically COVID, um, I think the, the federal government's done an excellent job at responding to COVID um, from an economic perspective. Uh, obviously, our vaccine rollout has been kind of the shits, but there's obvious reasons as to why that's happened we don't have manufacturing facilities here i could go on and on about like the nitty-gritty aspects of this vaccine rollout but um and the international flights and all that junk from an economic perspective i think that i think that they've done an excellent job if i told you two years ago that the government during a uh, a recession was going to pay 75 percent of your wages 75 percent of your rent and then also pay people that were out of work two thousand dollars a month you would have called me insane. I would have said you're an idiot. Right? So I think if we're going to, let's let's go on a uh, out of 10 scale. I think economic response to COVID, I'm going to give them a nine. I think it's been uh, super generous and I think it's been um, way more than expected. Yeah, 100%. And what about the second point? Uh, so the second point. Value um, for the citizens as a whole, but value, for this budget. Value to the citizens. I think we're seeing a lot of direct investment in people. So whether it's childcare, whether it's increases in old age security, whether it's clean drinking water for indigenous reserves, whether it's um, increases in the minimum wage, um, or even helping you out do do a renovation on your house to save on utility costs and emissions. Um, 
I think it's pretty high value for the average person. I don't think it's a high value for somebody making six million a year. No. Um, I mean, they're they're the outlier here. This budget is definitely um, it's moderate. Yep. It's it's nothing crazy by any means. I mean, the amount is a lot, but we know why it is. Um, but the policies are very moderate. They're not seeking out an election. I think that they're just helping the average person. And I think the the range of which person or is going to benefit the most is all over the map, right? Yeah. It's going to be young families with childcare, or it's going to be senior citizens with the increases in old age security, or it's small businesses that are getting direct payments for wages and rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I, I'd say value, I, I want to give that like, Eight out of ten. I think Great. it's good value um, right. for the average person for sure. And then the ROI to the Canadian government. ROI. Um, some of the stuff is tough to say. I mean, I've gone over this before. I think that the direct payments for the COVID relief programs, because it's such a large portion of this budget, um, if you don't let the business fail over the next. 50 years, you're going to see a way bigger um, wealth accumulation for that whole family, right? Than you would if you let the business fail. Mm-hmm. So I think the ROI specific on that is enormous, but it's just intangible. You can't talk about it um, from a like a numbers perspective, um, just because you don't know, right? You can't predict the future. You don't know what would have happened if you let everything fail. So um, I think it's huge. People might disagree with me on that one, but I'm going to leave it at that. Um, Things like national childcare, um, indigenous infrastructure, and um, yeah, you touched on the national childcare. You provided like the statistic where I believe it was what a buck twenty, a buck forty, a that, buck fifty that... to two dollars and forty eight cents. Yeah, I'm just gonna say okay. So just the two, the okay. Here, here's three things: the green infrastructure investment. The national child care and the indigenous infrastructure investments, I think those are having significant ROI, um, specifically the child care. If you can get up to two and a half percent or two and a half times what your original investment is. Huge. That's enormous. Huge. That's anybody does that, right? Yeah. Um, things like the increase in old age security or the 1% tax on foreign owned homes. I don't think there's a huge ROI on that, but I think it does help. Um so in terms of return on investment, I would have liked to see different different things specifically for that metric. So I'll just give it a six out of 10. Cool, fair enough. I know I, I agree with most of your points there um, and, and most of your scores there. My only thing is um, there are a few loopholes in here. Um, there is a very wise accountant that I used to work for slash with. Um, he used to say that tax rules are made to be broken. Mm. Um, he was a tax accountant. Um, and yeah, I, I, I truly do think that there are some open opportunities and I'm sure there's a lot of tax accountants out there right now, um, planning ways for their clients to save money, which is their job. So kudos to oh, them. Oh, we were doing it this morning. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think there are loopholes like we touched on with the 1% tax on foreign owned homes personally, um, myself i could figure out five different ways of getting around that um and um the the 50 percent corporate tax on manufacturers of clean energy equipment again i don't know about that i think controls need to be put in place to limit um the misuse of funds in those different initiatives but other than that overall yeah i agree with jade on everything i think they did a great job with covid covid relief for for small businesses small to medium-sized businesses 
Um, I believe that the value to the average Canadian citizen is huge here. Um, you know, everything is pretty much catered towards that, that population group. And then number, number three, I think the ROI personally, I don't think the ROI is going to be so high on this for, for the Canadian government. The reason why is because the largest portion of their money is being spent. Well, not the largest, but a huge portion of their money over the next couple of years here is going to be making up for the COVID relief funds. Mm-hmm. And your ROI on that, like a direct form of ROI from those funds that you shout out to those businesses is probably a tax increase and you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the intangible ROI on that one. Exactly, right? yeah. Like it w- it's the what if we let this business fail? Yeah, exactly. We will never know because they're not going to let them fail. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an intangible return on that one. Yep. Um, one thing that I did want to see on here, um, because we knew going into this budget that this was going to be a huge deficit. There's going to be a lot of money that's going to be divvied out to the Canadian population. Uh, one thing I did want to see was a higher tax rate for, um, the lar- the higher tax brackets. Um, but we, we did not see that. No, we saw didn't. some things on their, on the consumption end, which is good. Um, but again, I, I, I truly do think I fall into that um, Bernie Sanders type of outlook where we do need to tax some of the uber wealthy um, and use those tax dollars to pay for things like the National Child Care Initiative or, you know, the Affordable Housing Initiative or whatever it may be. Um, but you know what? What can you do? You can't get everything. I, I do think overall it was a great budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll just add my one thing that I was hoping that they, they did. And it wasn't necessarily something that they had been talking about, but I think this is what we should do as a, as a country going forward, because I think there's been a lot of talk um, over the past year of, I mean, the markets are just absolutely ripping. Bananas. Well, tech is in, but sure, everything else is, yeah. But from the COVID lows, right? Yes, yes. Based on the economic outlook of this of, of this world right now, the markets have been absolutely enormous Mm -hmm. um, growth over the last uh, year or so. And there's been a lot of talk about how we should limit people um, at the top 1% and, um, you know, the ownership class and the leadership class and the elites, we should, you know, be going after them because of their, I mean, Jeff Bezos was, he's up like a hundred billion dollars in net worth, right? Now, I agree that we should do something about that because wealth inequalities getting worse every single year, it seems. But I think one thing that we could actually do, and this kind of ties in with national childcare and your ideas about how we need to educate kids from the Mm get-go because we need to improve their starting position, right? So I I have this idea that we should, and I, uh, you might might know where this is coming from, but um, I think we should give every single kid that's born in Canada Mm $1,000 when they're born Okay, in an account um, that's basically administered like the CPP is, right? But something that would be investing in strictly Canadian companies, public companies. So let's say just the top 500 companies on the TSX, right? Like let's say the government starts to facilitate an ETF um, that that tracks the top 500 companies in Canada. I think we should be able to give each kid that's born in Canada, regardless of income of their parents, thousand dollars when they're born into an account, you should be able to take it out three times in your life. 
First time is when you're spending uh, money on tuition. Second time, when you're spending money on buying your first house. And the third time is when you turn 65 and, you, and you're retired. And I think that what that will do is that'll push the lower class and the middle class into the ownership class mm -hmm. just a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Because so if you get a kid who grows up and maybe his parents don't have a whole lot of money, maybe they can't afford to save for college, right. but the Canadian government puts $1,000 in an ETF that he can't touch when he's born. And when he turns 19, that $1,000 is compounded over the years into maybe it's 12,000, right? Going maybe, by historical terms, yeah, it'd probably be even more than that. Probably 16, 18,000 probably. Yeah. yeah, like let's say. And then maybe they give you the option that you can contribute to it, yeah. right? Over the years, but you can't pull it out. Yeah. Then what you're doing is you're propping people up in their starting position, right? You're not saying, okay, now that you're 45 and you aren't happy with your life, we're going to tax the rich to give you more money because you're pissed off about it, right? <laughs> right. What we're saying is, okay... Maybe not everybody's starting out in the in the in the right position in this generation, but the right. next generation we can start to fix that. Yep. So give that kid thousand bucks, invest in the top five hundred companies in Canada, and have them invested in the success of our country, so that when they turn nineteen and go to university to get educated, or they want to join the middle class and buy a home, mm -hmm. or they want to retire and they want to leave that money in there until they do, and they want to retire comfortably then that's when we should be making that investment. Because I think that's where the government can use the markets and use capitalism and use the game that produced Jeff Bezos yeah, yeah. to transfer wealth to everybody, yeah. no matter who they are. Yeah. And that's what I think is missing from this budget. It's not necessarily just this program, but it's a kind of a... I think we needed more of a let's build the base rather than let's tear apart the top. Right, right, right. Kind no, of rhetoric. 100%. And I agree with you on that. Um, I have, it's a great, great initiative. You should actually seriously think about bringing this up with some of the, one of the politicians or whatever, our local MLA. Um, but I think that here's my quarrel with it. And maybe this is like the socialist side of me, like reading a little bit too much Karl Marx lately, but... Um, <laughs> You know, if you look at a lot of these companies, and maybe our viewers don't know this, but a lot of these large companies like Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, basically any company that's been able to scale their product or service, they did it so with debt markets or the equity market, the public markets, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of these hedge funds, these um, uh, investment funds, whatever it may, whatever vehicles that provided them the, the money, they went after it, right? Mm -hmm. And those vehicles knew that these companies were good companies and they would provide them a, a hefty, hefty return on their investment. Here's my thing for it is these investors, so let's just say it was a hedge fund, whatever it was, they got a tangible return, so money, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to governments, I don't, I don't know if they can think that way because it's tough for them to be like, show their citizens an income statement or a balance sheet and be like, hey, we made $2 billion this year off Amazon. It's no, like, no, great, so this... but how much tax did Amazon pay in Canada? You would have made way more if you guys actually taxed them the right way. Right, which, different topic, I think. Sure. I think this is legitimately like facilitated by the government, but it's, it, okay, so I said facilitated by the CPP, 
maybe we don't do it CPP. Maybe it's facilitated by, okay, government mandates that every chartered bank in Canada has to offer each child a free investment account that has that thousand dollars in it mm. at the time of their birth. Right, right, so right. the parents can go and apply for it. It's held in trust at the bank. So it's popping up on your phone when you're bringing your phone up, right? You're checking in, oh, you know, I, my investment that I made when I was a kid is up 150% last year, right? Yep. You're able to participate in that ownership class and gain that equity in these companies, right? right. So when they take off, and Amazon doubles in value in a year, it's not just the top 10% that get rich. who are buying all this stock that are getting rich, it's yeah. actually trickling down to those that, people. And that, that's fair, but my side is that we're providing a whole new revenue stream for these companies. Like you and I could start up the next Amazon and just go to the Canadian government and be like, ah, screw the IPO. We don't need an IPO, screw these hedge funds. Hey, why don't you guys just back us? And then you and I just go buy a yacht somewhere when, you know, we get a billion dollars from the government. We still spent 250 on a yacht and we still got 750. Like, I'm just thinking like, it sounds great on a grand scale. And I'm sure it would be amazing if it worked out. But like, just like we talked about with the certain programs, like the 50% corporate tax cut mm-hmm. or the 1% tax on foreign owned homes, there, have to, there, there has to be controls in place in order to ensure that those, and these guys aren't stupid. Like Bezos isn't an idiot. Zuckerberg's not an idiot. These guys paid some of the best lawyers and the best accounts in the world. To mm-hmm. make sure that they pay the least amount of tax, that they have the most amount of money in their bank accounts. And they're going to do that at the expense of anyone, whether it's a government, whether it's a common citizen like you and I, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. They just, they just, they're just doing it for themselves, right? And at the end of the day, I think that we just need controls in place so that it's just a level playing field. And this is a great way to just like pave the way for a level playing field. Mm-hmm. We just have to make make sure that Bezos doesn't take advantage of that and just be like, oh my God, the Canadian government's just tossing money at me, right? My net worth increased by, because he's able to, sure, okay, that's great. Let's just say you give a kid a thousand bucks and they turn it into 20 Gs by the time they turn 19, right? Mm -hmm. A thousand into 20. Now that's, we haven't even corrected that for inflation first off, because inflation obviously is going to increase. So that 20 Gs isn't exactly 20 grand of real hard yeah you don't have a 20x return exactly but i would love to see and we could even look into this and maybe for the next podcast we should do a little analysis i would love to see what would be the return that bezos had on his net worth with a cash injection of i don't know take the average number of births in in canada multiply by a thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. multiply that over 20 years take that at the yearly growth the historical growth that amazon's been growing at man that'd be insane yeah. I'm sure he would have billions that he's returned in 20 years. Personally. Not yeah, like the his. more people you have, and I think we've seen that over this past year, the more people you have involved in the markets, the more that they go up. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Which is why I would restrict that program specifically to um, Canadian companies only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So that they Amazon doesn't have access to that share equity capital. Yeah. Right? Um, but, you know, RBC would. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's, what's the difference between RBC's largest shareholder and Bezos, right? Like they're still billionaires. Yeah. Um, so your, your point still stands. Um, and I think it would just work well in conjunction with various other, um, programs, right? Or, or the other flip side of it is you run that same type of program that you talked about, but instead of spending, spending that money 
on um, or given it to these corporations. You spend it either on incubators within your own nation. Mm-hmm. Like Canada, we don't have a tech culture or a tech company anywhere, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Vancouver. Lots of people say they do, but I'm sorry, you don't. You don't have an IBM. You don't have an Apple. You don't have a Microsoft. Like we don't have that here. We don't have an Apple. So create that atmosphere, create that environment and create companies out of there that's funded by this program mm-hmm. at a seed level. Or the other aspect of it is like, have direct investment into certain initiatives. So open up a platform for Canadian citizens to be like, hey, I want to start this software company and I want to create these microchips that are going to be sold to Tesla and help out with the autopilot or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm based out of Vancouver, British Columbia and I want to start this. Can I have a million dollars? Great. Maybe that's the next freaking IBM, right? And I think that that's where it needs to come into a seed level investment. Um... Because at the end of the day, you know, this we can't really compete against Silicon Valley. We are trying to compete against Silicon Valley, and that's really tough to do because we just don't have the means to do it. But it's a great, I think it's a great initiative. Well, that's an excellent point because I think maybe maybe that's our next episode. Yeah. It's how we can continue to push the democratization of finance and Huge. participation in the equity markets to all Canadians, no matter what level of capital you have, what level of education you have, but allowing more participation in these companies and instead of watching a small number of people continue to just dump all of their billions into these other companies and then just multiply their billions into more billions, mm-hmm. then we're gonna see maybe, maybe we can look at what we could do as a company or a country to allow you know the average citizen to say, I like that idea. I'm gonna put my $100 in it. Who cares if it's a hundred dollars? Because mm-hmm. at one day that might be worth a hundred thousand. Yeah. Right. If that company look at Shopify, so it's the country's most valuable company. It's more valuable than every chartered bank in this entire country. Yeah, that's insane. Which is nuts. The fact that you know, Shopify is worth more than CP Rail, CP Rail or I was just say that, yeah. uh, RBC or Suncor or Lululemon or any of these Doesn't companies, matter. right? Yeah. Maybe one day we can get to the point where. You know, any Canadian kid, no matter how old they are or how rich their parents are, can invest in a company that they think sounds good. And then that that company can take off and hit the IPO stage and then hit the, you know, and then hit the growth stage where, you know, the average citizen can cash in on that that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. And so I think we should save that for the next yeah, episode. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great episode to have. Um, look forward to that. And I'm sure a lot of the viewers would value that as well. Absolutely. Um, so thanks for listening to the emergency pod, uh, breaking down the budget. Uh, hopefully you, uh, learned something. Um, hopefully there's something in there for you and, um, hopefully you're not too mad at Trudeau for all the spending. Yeah. And take, uh, take a read through some of these, uh, programs, whatever applies to you. Um, I think to a lot of our viewers, um, that home retrofit one, that's big. You want to mm-hmm. you want to replace your windows. You want to put some solar panels up. Take advantage of those interest-free loans. Um, other ones, run through them if you have kids. Good for you. Like I said, might have to uh, have a few kids here. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, we're gonna sign off. Uh, right. So thanks again for listening. Uh, remember, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. All right, cheers, guys. <laughs>